Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello and welcome to The Inner Life here on this Wednesday, almost halfway through the month of October already. Can you believe it? Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, and so glad to have you during uh, joining us during this hour, which we devote to spiritual direction on the air. Might sound a little strange, but it's uh, it's it's such a blessing to be able to share this hour with you, to invite you to call in with your experiences, how you've grown in your faith, how maybe we have some questions about what we're discussing each day and able to turn to one of our spiritual directors, one of the priests that joins us here during this hour, and seek their advice, their counsel, their insights. And today, as we begin the program, let me ask you, when's the last time that you read through a magazine? So many of those are online now, so do you still subscribe to any periodicals, at least the the ones that are printed on paper, that arrive in the mail, something physical that you can hold on to? We don't in our house. We have some online subscriptions, but nothing that's printed out, nothing that comes in the mail. When I was a kid, we had a number of different uh, subscriptions, different paper magazines that would be delivered to our home. And I do still prefer those, actually, even though it's cheaper to get the online subscription. I really do like holding a physical copy of a magazine, something tactile, something that you can turn the pages as you're going. Uh, When I was young, maybe six, seven, eight years old, One of the ones I remember my parents getting from me, Highlights Magazine. You might have had that too. The one with Goofus and Gallant. It also had that page where you'd search and try and find the hidden objects that were in that big picture. My parents, they had other magazines that would come through, uh, like National Geographic. That was the one that had all, all the best photographs. That was just, it was, it was visually a stunning magazine. Reader's Digest, that was another one that I remember we'd always have. And whenever the Reader's Digest would come, I'd skip ahead in each issue. I'd skip the long articles or long stories, especially when I was young. And I'd look for all those pages that had the different jokes or the humorous stories that people would submit. And they were in in those couple of pages that would fall in between the longer articles, the longer stories, things like laughter, the best medicine or life in these United States. And another one of those little sections that you would find between the stories and the articles in a Reader's Digest, it was a page called Quotable Quotes. And this was a page that had maybe a dozen or so different quotes from a variety of authors or well-known individuals. And I remember every time that I'd read through that, even at a young age, at least the things that I understood, I would find myself thinking, wow, there's so much wisdom and insight that are contained in the lines just on that one little page there in that Reader's Digest. 
Well, to begin today, this hour, I thought that I would share with you some Catholic quotable quotes, uh, ones related to today's topic. Today, we're going to talk about how when we receive the Eucharist at Mass, we then take Christ out into the world, and we want to understand what it means to live out the Eucharist in our daily lives, how we can be a Eucharistic people. So to get our thoughts focused on Jesus and Him being truly present in the Eucharist, here are some different quotes that uh, I put together from some different saints. St. John Vianney, he says, Not to go to communion is like someone dying of thirst beside a spring. St. Mother Teresa, she gives this advice. She says, Jesus has made himself the bread of life to give us life. Night and day he is there. If you really want to grow in love, come back to the Eucharist. Come back to that adoration. Here's what St. Alphonsus Liguori said. He said, of all devotions, that of adoring Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament is the greatest after the sacraments, the one dearest to God and the one most helpful to us. St. Jerome, living at the end of the 4th and the beginning of the 5th centuries, he said, If Christ did not want to dismiss the Jews without food in the desert for fear that they would collapse on the way, it was to teach us that it is dangerous to try to get to heaven without the bread of heaven. St. Padre Pio, he gives this encouragement. He says, Always remain close to the Catholic Church, because it alone can give you true peace since it alone possesses Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, the true Prince of Peace. Here's one from St. Teresa of Avila. She, she wrote, Here on earth it's impossible to perform a more meritorious act than visiting Jesus often in the Eucharist. If you took all the good works done by all of the humans who have ever lived in all of history and stacked them all up and multiplied them by a million— they wouldn't equal the merit, the virtue, and the worth of one Mass. The Eucharistic sacrifice is Christ's infinite merit, infinite value. Here's St. Maximilian Kolbe. Here's what he had to say about the Eucharist. If angels could be jealous of men, they would be so for one reason, holy communion. And here's one final one. This is uh, this one, when I read it, it just kind of stuck in my brain. Uh, this is St. Jose Maria Escriva. And he says, When you approach the tabernacle, remember that he has been waiting for you for 20 centuries. He's been waiting for you for that long. Isn't that just beautiful? So again, today, we want to talk about how we can live out what we receive in the Eucharist how we can be that Eucharistic people, bringing Christ into the, into the world. And joining us today as our spiritual director as we talk about this, Father Carter Griffin is back with us once again. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. He's the rector of St. John Paul II Seminary there in Washington, D.C. Father Griffin, welcome back to The Inner Life. Uh, any, any quotable quotes you might have off the top of your head from a saint regarding the Eucharist? put me on the spot there. No, I know. I, mean, I, I didn't one, prep you one, for that at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, uh, but I actually have to say, the one from St. Josemaria that you said at the end is something that when I first read that, I had the exact same reaction. It's like that, that, the beautiful reflection that, that Jesus is there and he's waiting for me. So that one really has always stuck in my heart. And also the one from St. Faustina, you know, that it's one of the things that angels uh, are sort of envious, is this capacity to receive Jesus in Holy Communion. And that's an extraordinary thought. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And it's one of those things that, well, Father, you and I, we're both converts. And I remember when I was coming into the church, you might have a similar experience to this. When I was coming into the church, I would come across certain claims that the Catholic Church made that sound arrogant, especially for an outsider looking in. Things like, well, it's the church that gave us the Bible. The, you know, we wouldn't even have the Bible if it wasn't for the church. Or there is no salvation outside of the church. <laughs> and there are statements like these where if they're true, then that truth, it really should be boldly proclaimed. It's necessary to just state it as plainly as you possibly can. But, of course, if the statement is a lie, then on the other hand, then you have this devious lie. People would be fools to fall for such a blatant falsehood. And I remember thinking as I was learning about what the Catholic Church teaches about the Eucharist, that kind of falls in that same category. The Church makes this claim, this really bold claim, that... Jesus, it really is him in this bread that is no longer bread and the wine that is no longer wine. And on top of that, unless you have a validly ordained priest, you have no access to this miracle. That's a pretty bold statement right there to say it is Jesus and only priests that are ordained validly through the the succession of the bishops in the Catholic Church— they're the only ones who can consecrate and have this miraculous transformation happen of bread becoming the body, the blood, the soul, and divinity of Jesus. That's right. And I think the only way that the Church can make that claim um, and that people should accept that claim is um, under the broader context of, first of all, knowing, uh, seeing if the Church is in fact who she says she is. Does she have the right to even make a teaching like that? Uh, you know, so, that so part of this is not just sort of take, isolating out the one teaching on the, on the Eucharist. But seeing as part of a larger picture of kind of ecclesiology is, is in fact, the Church the Bride of Christ, the one that is, that is commissioned by Christ and guided by the Holy Spirit to teach us the truth. And then also, kind of specifically about the Eucharist, is sort of investigating that and seeing, is, is, there, is there evidence from the Scriptures historically with you know, the Passover and all these things we, we can talk about over the course of this hour if we want to, and, 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 and the history of the Church and seeing how people understood the Eucharist as the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus, not just as symbolic or representation of Christ, but in fact Christ himself. Is there evidence of that in history? And are, has, it been, has it been kind of reinforced or verified by miracles through the centuries? Um, all of which, uh, at least in my experience coming into the Church, and probably yours as well, kind of checked out, even in yeah. a sense maybe despite ourselves. Um, but I would add one other thing, and that is on a more spiritual or maybe mystical level, I suppose, is that Jesus calls each of us in our hearts closer to him. And there is so often an experience, I, I had it uh, actually as, as a boy when I was very young, this kind of hunger, this desire to get closer to Jesus in the Eucharist, going to a Catholic Mass, I was going to a Catholic school actually, and, and I was the only one who couldn't go forward for communion, and so part of it was probably just wishing that I could join everybody right. else. But I think there was also this hunger for something that they were receiving that I wasn't receiving, and I think that and many converts have, have an experience like that, of, at some spiritual level, this, this desire to, to receive this. And so I think that, too, is, is kind of some of the evidence as well, that this is, in fact, what Jesus says it is in uh, John 6. You know, the other thing that uh, came to mind as you were talking about, uh, you know, is there that evidence? Are there the miracles that are associated with it? Does it bear itself out? One of the things I had never heard about before I started learning about the Catholic Church, and I would think that why in the world are these not promoted more? Why is there not this widespread curiosity 
about Eucharistic miracles. You know, the, 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 the host that turns into this very thin slice of heart tissue or the few drops of blood that dry up through the year, but they become mysteriously liquefied again on the anniversary of that Eucharistic miracle. Things like that, I, I couldn't believe that I had made it into adulthood and had never heard of some of these. You know what I mean, Father? Yeah, and you used a word which is interesting, and that is curiosity. And I think that is the hesitation on the part of, of the Church sometimes, is that just as we read in the Scriptures, you know, that people saw all kinds of miracles that Jesus worked, and yet sometimes not only didn't accept Jesus, but in fact, you know, were even more set against him uh, as a result of those miracles. The miracles do not necessarily produce faith. They can, they can reinforce faith, right. they can incur, open us to faith. But they are distinct from faith, and, and in some ways I think Jesus doesn't work miracles, even in the Scriptures, um, because it might actually set us against him, you know, because it, we're, we're, then we see the evidence with our own eyes, and yet we still don't say yes, which is in an even worse position than we were in before. So I think faith needs to be the foundation of our belief in the Eucharist, just as in all of our, faith, all of our different doctrines. Uh, and then the, the, the miracles are kind of, in a sense, icing on the cake. You know, they're able to say, like, yeah, no, what I believe by faith, I believe by faith. There's a story of uh, Louis the Ninth, uh, Saint Louis the Ninth, who, you know, there was a, and it may be a legend, but I, it still it, it expresses a truth. And there was a Eucharistic miracle in his in the chapel of his castle, and somebody came rushing in to tell him, and he and he refused to go, and he said, you know, I would prefer to not see the not see the miracle and have uh, you know have the faith in the Eucharist and still win the reward that when Jesus says, you know. Um, that, 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 that blessed are you who have not seen and yet believed. Right, you know? yeah, um, echoing those words of Jesus given yeah. to St. Thomas. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, so let's talk about practical application then for each of our lives. And I'm, I'm going to throw up in the phone lines right now, Father, and uh, our studio line, 888-914-9149. Today, as we talk about the Eucharist and how we live out what we receive from Christ, receiving himself, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, how do we live that out in our lives? And how have you been able to maybe offer yourself back to Christ? He offers himself to you in Holy Communion. How have you offered yourself back? How have you been able to unite yourself to Jesus in the Eucharist? And how has that relationship, that time spent in adoration, being able to go to Mass, how has that allowed you to fall even more in love with Jesus? And how has that impacted your world, those that you interact with, people that you meet, people that are there around you every day, your family, your friends, your co-workers, whoever that might be. Our studio line, 888-914-9149. Our email address is relevantradio.com. And so right before we receive communion at Mass, we have those words that we pray, that we repeat of what the Roman centurion said in response to Jesus. And I think there's this common sentiment that a lot of us have at different points in our life. Maybe we've hurt someone or we've committed some sort of sin, and we think how in those moments, well, I'm just, I'm so unworthy to receive Jesus in communion at this moment. But in reality, even at those times where we feel like we kind of have our act together, where we're doing pretty well, we're living out the virtues, we're loving God, it's kind of the best of times— even at those moments, we're still completely unworthy to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. And so when we say those words of the Roman centurion, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, in spite of us being unworthy, Jesus still, he says, come, receive me. 
come take of this bread, you know, this the, take of this bread and drink of this cup, this chalice. How do you think this should shape our minds and our attitudes towards receiving communion? Yeah. You know, we, we do have a, a bizarre kind of approach here because sometimes we sort of think ourselves completely unworthy no matter what and, you know, even to an extreme. Um, and then the other times we sort of imagine, our, you know, a lot of folks imagine themselves worthy no matter what they do, you know, that I should be able to receive and no one should hold me, you know. And so we have this weird kind of, uh, we, we go to these two extremes. And in fact, the church uh, kind of charts uh, a kind of a middle course in a, in, a, in a really sane and healthy way, I think, you know, which is to say that, of course, objectively, we're never worthy um, none of the apostles were worthy. I mean, Our Lady herself was worthy, and, and she was the, the masterpiece, you know, of creation. Really, in a sense, none of us are, uh, is. And yet, at the same time, you know, Jesus makes us worthy um, through his sanctifying grace and through his forgiveness and bringing us into a right relationship with him, which is called justification. You know, that we're brought into this relationship where he desires, uh, he, desires he, he came in order to, to be united to us and to bring us, to bring, you know, to throw open the gates of heaven, to allow us to approach the, the sacred altar. You know, the, tor- the, the veil was torn uh, in the old temple because all of us are now entering into the sanctuary. And so that sense that he has willed it, and if God wills it, then who are we to say, to sort of be, you know, in a sense, too diffident and pulling back and saying, mm-hmm. no, I'm not, I shouldn't do that. I mean, the, the centurion was praised by our Lord because of his humility um, and because he recognized um, his unworthiness. He says, you know, you, you know, come under my roof, and then when we see a word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, not even in Israel have I seen such faith, right? The faith of the right. centurion was in his humility, but also the recognition that Jesus could and would heal. Um, and the church applies those words not to a servant, but to ourselves, right? So we know our unworthiness, and we're confident that he wishes to heal us. Um, and so we have a recognition that there are certain bright lines that the church has set out, mortal sins, that would mean that we need to go to confession before receiving communion. But assuming that we're not, you know, we haven't crossed one of those bright lines, then we are still in a relationship with the Lord, sinful though we are, with venial sins, um, that we can and ordinarily should receive communion if, you know, if there's nothing else to hinder us. Our spiritual director today on The Inner Life, Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., and today talking about how, when we receive the Eucharist, how we can bring Christ into the world, how we can live that out in our lives. How have you lived out receiving Christ, brought him out to others, introduced him to others? Maybe it's just that it allows you to be a more peaceful person. You see some of those fruits of the Spirit. It allows you to bring joy into the interactions that you have with others, into your family time, allows you to be more patient and more calm in dealing with people who maybe in the past uh, you weren't as patient and, and as calm. How has receiving Christ in the Eucharist allowed you to impact the world, that immediate uh, community right around you? How has that allowed you to bring Christ into those relationships? 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And we'll continue our conversation here in just a moment on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 
1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., the rector of St. John Paul II Seminary there in Washington, D.C. today, talking about the Eucharist, how we bring Christ into the the world when we receive him in the Eucharist, how we live out being those disciples, those followers of Jesus. How have you done that in your own life? Our studio line, 888-914-9149. And so, Father, we were kind of talking about that unworthiness and how when we receive Christ, uh, we're acknowledging always that it doesn't matter how good we might be. We're always unworthy. And you mentioned, you know, Mary, that the, the Blessed Mother, Mother of Jesus, She's the only one who was worthy to actually receive Christ. And that even, she acknowledges, is not because of anything she did. You know, my soul, right. my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You know, he, he's the one who saved her before she was conceived and preserved her from that stain of original sin. And so, you know, we can look at Mary and we can say, great, we have her as this example. She, in a very physical, real way. She, for nine months, carries the developing, growing baby Jesus and brings him into the world. And when we receive the Eucharist, we, in a real way, we have Jesus in us. And so we're similar to Mary. And in our baptism, we have our stain of original sin that's washed away. So what kind of advice would you give to someone maybe looking at our Blessed Mother and turning to her for help, for her intercession, on how we then do bring Christ into the world to those that we encounter every day? Well, you know, and I think it's, a, it's an interesting point, because it can be that the, one of the reasons why we might feel um, kind of unworthy to receive our Lord, even when we uh, uh, should receive him, um, is because our understanding of the Mass really is kind of self-focused, and I don't mean that too harshly, but, but that the Mass is really about me and my relationship with the Lord. It certainly is about us and our relationship with the Lord, but the whole orientation of the Mass has this kind of outward evangelical kind of orientation, you know, that, um, that at the very end, you know, the priest says, go, you know, and announce the Gospel of the Lord, mm-hmm. or whatever, whichever version he says, and, um, and so realizing that we are each called not just to inward personal conversion uh, and holiness, but also apostolate, and that we receive that call in our baptism, you know, as you just were mentioning, you know, that this is in our baptism, we've been freed from original sin, uh, although we have the effects of original sin still, but in that baptism too, we were given this special commission to bring the good news to the rest of the world, and, and, the, um, and, the, and the Holy Eucharist is receiving the Holy Eucharist well, going to Mass, first of all, and hearing the readings and the prayers and the preaching and all that stuff, but then also receiving that way of, of being in union with Christ and Holy Communion are certainly some of the most powerful uh, sort of tools in our arsenal as we go forward. Uh, I remembered, by the way, the quote, you mentioned that quote earlier, and I remembered one that I, I love, and that is John Chrysostom, and he says, let us go forth from this altar like lions breathing fire, <laughs> which is a fantastic kind of image. Yeah. You know, we receive, we receive from the altar, and then we go forth, and we bring it to our families and to our friends and to our workplace and all these different ways, more or less organized, 
uh, of bringing of bringing the good news to people that God has put into our lives. So I think seeing the the mass as that orientation towards not just ourselves but towards others is a first step anyway. Lions breathing fire. What if <laughs> I walk away from mass and I feel nothing like a lion and there are no flames that are coming out of my mouth? I feel like I'm the last person who should be giving anybody kind of, you know, spiritual advice or being a representative of Christ. I'm just, I, I might be that sinner in the back of the church beating my chest saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. And why would anybody ever want to listen to something I say? How, how, do, we, how do we take our brokenness, our fallenness, the things where we know we're not perfect, and not by our own strength or our own merits, but how, how can we open ourselves to allow the Holy Spirit to turn us into those lions that are breathing fire to impact those that we encounter? Well, I think a first step is to go back to your previous question, asking about Our Lady and her role in how we receive communion as, as the example, as the first and greatest disciple. But one of the things that the scriptures say about her uh, repeatedly is that she, 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 she sort of held these things in her heart. She meditated upon these things in her heart, different translations for it. But that idea of turning these things over deeply in our heart, having an interior life, I think is the first thing, is to recognize that Breathing fire is not a kind of an emotional statement. You know, John Chrysostom wasn't saying, like, let's go through here and, like, and let's just sort of stoke the emotions and go out there and, and, and then feed off those emotions as we bring Christ to others. You know, I mean, he lived um, a particularly painful life, you know, in many respects, and, and he didn't always feel good, I'm sure, John Chrysostom, I mean. And, you know, basically every saint has ever lived, most Christians who have ever lived. And recognizing that it's not so much a question of kind of those, um, kind of the, the the flames coming up, you know, of the fire, but that fire is really more like the deep embers that are in our hearts that are nourished day by day by the sacraments and receiving especially uh, confession and holy, uh, the holy Eucharist, and and also by our interior life, by a life of prayer and sacrifice, you know, in our own lives and living our duties well, growing in humility. I mean, these are things that don't always feel good, um, but they nourish this deep interior life and those burning embers will take very little kind of be fanned into flame at that moment that, you know, that when we're in that conversation or whatever, mm-hmm. and kind of trusting that the Lord wants to do that. Um, in some ways, those moments where we feel most broken and kind of the darkness, those are kind of precious moments sometimes, you know, uh, if, and assuming that we're not the cause of it by our sin or something else, you know, that it's just, in a sense, the Lord is bringing us down into this place where we recognize, like that centurion, that we are utterly incapable of, of affecting this healing ourselves and that we need him. And when we're in that place of deep sort of openness to God, because we're trusting him more because we have to, um, that's a gift. That's a blessing. And that's when he can work through us very powerfully. And oftentimes, I think we've all perhaps, I hope, have had this experience of thinking that we're not offering anything or not giving anything. And suddenly, you know, someone at some point says, you know, that thing you said to me, you know, (laughs) three years ago made a big difference in my life. Or, you know, that, that time when you were there for me when I was sick, you know, that's when I, I, I was able to see Christ in you. And maybe we won't hear those words, but that in effect we have, we have found that in those moments of desolation that sometimes God can work through us in very powerful ways. So not to pay as much attention to the emotions. We live in a highly sentimental yeah, and emotivist do. age. You know, and so to, <laughs> yeah. being a little bit less focused on them when we're receiving communion or bringing Christ into the world, I think would be helpful uh, as a starting point. Well, let, let's pick up on that maybe in a moment here. We can talk about, uh, you know, 
not just succumbing to feelings, especially when it's regarding the Eucharist, that we can have a faith that goes beyond feelings. But uh, let me throw out the phone number again, Father. Uh, 888-914-9149 is the line to call in and speak with Father Carter Griffin, our spiritual director for the hour today, as we talk about living out the Eucharist, how we can bring Christ into the world, how we can impact our direct community around us uh, by introducing them to Christ, by allowing Christ to work through us. 888-914-9149. And Father, we've got Mary who's listening to us in San Francisco. Mary, thanks for calling into the inner life today. Yes, hi. Um, I love your program. You guys always get us to keep thinking and acting out our faith. But my mom is 95, um, from Ireland, and very, very faithful. If you're from Ireland, that's one of their biggest things that they have is their faith. And um, she's in a senior home right now in uh, memory care. Uh, but she still knows me, and um, she still delights in her friends and family coming to visit, and she still has not, she still has her faith. She has not forgotten her faith. She is um, an amazing woman. She, I, she says that I talk so much, that I was vaccinated with a gramophone needle when I was born, and that's why I talk so much. But she does not have to talk. She acts out her faith, you know, and I brought her to church um, just last Sunday. The van started, I can't get her in and out of my car anymore because she's not strong enough to get in and it takes so long and but so the vans took us to church there last Sunday and we went into church and we sat away from her her favorite saint is Saint Anthony um so I went over to that statue right away and and she says to me do we have money because um, she knows that this, uh, the candles are there or the collection and I said mom I had five dollars here we'll put it in for Saint Anthony I said who do you want to pray for mom who do you want to pray for and she just, she's looking, she's got, you know, she's staring up there. She says, everybody. And I said, well, you've got everybody covered there, Mom. So we sat down. She was in her wheelchair, and I just kind of really sat almost onto the floor next to her so that I could be right with her to tell her what's going on. And I'm saying to her, Mom, can you see the, see the priest? You know, they were singing the music, and she was answering. I confess to Almighty God. She was saying those prayers. And, and you know, you're thinking, oh, my God, she knows all of this, you know. So I was like, Mom, do you see this? This is the consultation of the Mass, and she's looking up, and she was so wide awake, you know, alert for that, and answering the question, answer the prayers. And then it came to communion, and I said, hey, Mom, do you want to put it in your hand? But she can't turn her hand totally around. You know, I think it would fall off of her, the co-host would fall off of her hand. And so I said, oh, I'm talking to her, whispering, and, um, and she says, I'll take it on my tongue. And I said, oh, my gosh, okay, sure. So the priest was there. He says, you know, thank you. Before he even gave her communion, he said, God bless you and thank you very much for coming today. And I said, Father, can she have it on her tongue with COVID? I'm not sure. And he goes, no, whatever way she wants. And, and mom puts out her tongue and he gives it to her. And she blesses herself from her father to the son, the Holy Spirit. Now the two arms, the hands doesn't go across to each shoulder. But her face, just, I was kneeling down next to her after we came back from communion and and I also received communion, but I was seeing the um, Stations of the Cross. There was a few of them. And I thought to myself, you know what? We each live those Stations of the Cross. It wasn't just Jesus. And in my mom's life, she went through a lot of things, you know, in her life, like Jesus did those, those Stations. She acted out her faith. She, she is so powerful. Um, and when we look at the Bible, and I, I'm like, I'm a, probably a... Um, 
I uh, grocery store Catholic. You know, I'll go to the store that I want to go to. I'll go to the aisle that I'm going to go to. I'm going to go buy what I'm going to get. But she would always just live her life, her faith, as we're supposed to read the Bible and Jesus lives his life. She acts out her faith. And, and for all of us that have been around her, I, we just, I am just so grateful to God. It brought me to tears after Mass that day. We were kneeling down beside her. And I just thought, you know what? Jesus probably loved his mother as much as we do. And I love my mother so much. But she is a gift from him. And she is, she is my faith because what she does. Anyway, I... That's a that's a great story, Mary. Thank you. I mean, you know, and there's so many things about that story that uh, sort of struck me. And one of them is just at a deeper, you know, how deeply she knows her faith. She knows you, of course, and then she knows the faith. You know, there, but there are many things probably that she's forgotten, but not the faith, not the mass. You know, not Jesus. Um, and and that will always be there. You know, there's something about how she was formed. Uh, so uh, just just bed. It's the part of the bedrock of her life. Um, but more specifically about Holy Communion, you know, it was a great insight you said about looking at the stations. Um, Holy Communion is only possible because there is first a sacrifice, right? There's a sacrifice on the altar, and from the altar flows Holy Communion. From the cross flows, you know, his own blood and water from his side. Um, and, and that's from the sacrifice. And and to recognize that in receiving Holy Communion, we one of the reasons why only Catholics can receive it, Catholics who are in union with the Church, is because you're making a statement of faith when you receive Holy Communion. You're saying, I am in union with the Church, and I am in union with Christ who founded the Church. Um, and that union means we're united to his life, all of it. you know. And that, that means we're also kind of living out the sacrifice of Christ in our life, and knowing that you know, not in the same way, um, but that it will also bear fruit. Um, and, and when we're united to the sacrifice of Christ by receiving communion, by offering up our sacrifices, our sufferings, maybe even bringing them, in a sense, to Mass, you know, putting them, in a sense, on the paten as a priest lifts up the bread, you know, lifting it up to the Father. All of those sufferings, all of those struggles we have in our life become anointed by the Holy Spirit, and they unite us to Christ in a powerful way, and they will produce tremendous fruit in our lives, as your mother's sacrifices have produced fruit in your life and in probably countless others. Um, so it's a beautiful thought and, a, and a, kind of a touching story about your about your mom. Thanks for sharing that, Mary. Yeah, Mary, thanks for calling in today and being a part of the program. And again, our studio line, if you'd like to call in, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. As today, we're talking with our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin, about the Eucharist, how we bring Christ to those around us when we receive the Eucharist, how we walk out of our parish and we become that ambassador of Christ, of the Church. And how have you lived that out in your own life? How have you seen that lived out? Maybe like Mary, it's somebody that you know, a parent, a relative, a brother, a sister, maybe your child. 888-914-9149. And we'll continue talking with Father Carter Griffin and, and taking more of your phone calls right after this on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life spiritual directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. 
Welcome back to The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., today talking about living out the Eucharist, bringing Christ to those, impacting those people around us because we receive him in the Eucharist. And how have you done that in your own life? How have you been able to be that representative, bringing Christ to those that you encounter. When you leave the doors, the doors of the church are behind you and you're out in the world. 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. I've also been mentioning all uh, last week and this week that by the end of this week, we've got a drawing that's going to happen for anyone who wants to register. Well, Relevant Radio is giving away an outdoor nativity set, actually 200 of them. You could be one of 200 winners, and it's a beautiful set. It's valued at over $500, hand-painted, and why talk about it in mid-October? It's because we want to make sure we get it to you, we can send it out to you if you're one of the winners, by the beginning of Advent. So that's why we're asking you to register right now, and we'd love to send it to you as our gift for you to be able to put outside of your home coming up through the Advent. Advent and Christmas seasons. Just go to relevantradio.com and you'll see the banner there to click on the button and register. You can also register through the Relevant Radio app. Again, you'll see the banner for the Christmas nativity set there that you can do. Uh, You have to sign up by this Friday, though, October 15th. You have two days to do that, so don't put it off. Uh, Go ahead and register again, relevantradio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Father, going back to our conversation, You know, we've been talking about, and Mary, she called in with just this beautiful experience of her mother and receiving communion. And that's the ideal. But there are times, there are those points where we're not going to be able to receive the Eucharist. And this might be, you know, I mean, we saw this a lot in the past year, year and a half, two years with COVID. Uh, We might have illness that we're dealing with. We might just have lack of transportation. We might be homebound. Um, All kinds of different reasons that we might not be able to get to Mass, or we might not be able to receive the Eucharist. In those moments, how can we still unite ourselves to Christ in the Eucharist, and what can we do? Because at those moments, maybe we're isolated, and we're not we don't feel like we're bringing Christ into the world. It's just us there on our own. Well, I think the first thing to remember is that, of course, it may feel like we're on our own, but but we're not. You know, we're never less alone, you know we're never less alone than when we're lonely, as they say. You know that that we're that's when Jesus precisely is, in a sense, closest to us. Mm. It's it's not what we are. Uh, we're, we're it's a sacramental vision of the world that we have. Right, this is a spiritual communion doesn't just sort of automatically substitute for receiving the Eucharist as if there's no distinction whatsoever. No, he wants us, you know, like you were talking about the magazines at the beginning of the show, you know, he wants us to be able to touch and feel, and, you know, there's a reason why we smell the, the incense and why we have the oil poured on it, you know. All, all of that has a way of, like, bringing us into a reality that, that we're, con- we're, we're confronted with and we're joined to grace in a very special way through these outward signs. Uh, but having said that, it is also important to remember, you know, as the... Um, Kind of the old principle goes that we are limited to the sacraments, but but God is not right. They are they are His creation. They are they are the fruit of His creative genius. You know that He made these sacraments, but it's not as if He generated something that now He is bound to in a certain way, right? He can give grace when and how He wishes to, um, and to recognize and to have confidence in that that He He instituted these sacraments because He wants us to be united to Him. 
uh, and he wants us to be forgiven our sins. He wants us. And so when that's physically or literally not possible because the church is closed or because we're homebound or whatever it might be, that it's impossible to get to the sacraments, morally impossible, I don't mean necessarily physically impossible, but it's in effect impossible, then God will, will make up for that, right? He will, he, will, he will take us where we are and he will bring us to the he will bring us closer to himself, right? If we're not able to get to confession, we get on our knees and make a, an act of, of contrition as perfect as we can, right? If we're not able to get to Holy Communion, then we make a spiritual communion and unite ourselves to the intentions of the priest if we're watching it on, on TV, for instance, or, or just knowing where the closest parish is, where the priest may be saying Mass, or where Mass has been said or will be said, right? That, we, that, we're, kind of, that we're maybe praying over the readings for the day, right? We're finding these different ways of being as united to the sacrament as we can be, and knowing that God can bring us all the grace that we need, even the same grace we would have received if we had received Him in Holy Communion, if it's if it's uh, if it's if we're not able to to be there. Um, so I think that's the first thing: it's just kind of being confident that He wants us to be. And then the second is like taking whatever steps we can. First of all, if we can get to Mass, you know, yeah. sometimes it just takes a little bit more effort or kind of creativity on our part. Um, but also, if we can't get to Mass, trying to as you know, watch it on TV, watch it virtually, read the readings, you know, try to do other things to bring, kind of bring us closer to uh, to the Holy Sacrifice. Yeah, Jim, uh, one of our producers here, he was sharing with me how. Um, and he just moved to the area recently. He said during that lockdown that a lot of us experienced uh, during COVID, he said his pastor allowed him to come in on the eve of his birthday during that time and receive the, the Eucharist. And it was one of the most powerful moments for him being able to have that opportunity to receive communion. I remember that Easter that we went through and it was, for us, where we lived, it was uh, maybe about a third of the way through Lent, all of a sudden everything just kind of shut down. And going through Holy Week and not being able to receive the Eucharist, I don't know if I've ever had the, the, a hunger for the Eucharist that equaled that time in my life. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. And so sometimes these, I mean, there, there was a little bit of a tradition, and sometimes people would go on a Eucharistic fast, you know, they would actually not receive for a period, you know, and I, I, I'm not sure about the wisdom of that. I mean, obviously people are different and spiritual directors may sort of encourage that at times, but, you know, that's not the, the norm. But if it happens that we are unable to receive for whatever reason, because because of whatever, you know, um, then to, t- to take advantage of that moment, to then crave our Lord, to desire our Lord even more. Um, and, and let that to be kind of, now I wish to receive every time this way. The feelings won't be the right, same, right. but the intentionality and the seriousness. You know, I love the, there's a sign in the sacristy of every Missionaries of Charity Convent, you know, priest of God, you know, celebrate this Mass as if it were your, last, your first Mass, your last Mass, your only Mass. You know, and there's no reason why we can't say that to ourselves. You know, receive Holy Communion. You know, Christian, <laughs> receive Holy Communion as if it were first time and last time and your only time. Mm-hmm. And we can say that, we can pray that every single day if we wish, if, when we go to Holy Mass, if we go to daily Mass. Father, we've got Chris who's listening to us in Orlando, Florida, been very patiently waiting to uh, <laughs> come on the air. Hi, Chris. Thanks for calling into the Inner Life today. Hello. And yes, I had two comments. The first really quick was the uh, on bringing the Eucharist and Christ into our daily lives. My friend David, he works in uh, surgical pre-ops, so he sees a lot of people very briefly. And he felt compelled a few years back to start praying for even the people he only met for a minute. And then he realized that was every patient, every person that he's just seeing them for a minute while getting them for their next step. And 
So there was just that silent prayer that he incorporated into his every encounter. The second comment was about the Eucharist, uh, that the healing nature of the Eucharist, that after we've been to confession, or as you described, the, uh, the act of contrition, we've, done, we've been forgiven of our sins. We've, we then still have those wounds of sin, the wounds of the things that have happened in our lives, in our hearts. And then it's coming to the sacrifice of the Mass with intention, coming to the sacrifice of the Eucharist with intention, saying, Christ, heal me of this. This is the hurt that I still have from what I've already confessed. I've been forgiven, but the wound is there. And he puts then that, that sacred heart into those wounds and that every Mass should have an intention, every Eucharist, we should have our intention aside from all the prayers that are offered at the Mass. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Chris. And and thanks for bringing that up because, you know, of course, priests have their own ministerial intention, which is kind of the official intention, as it were, of that Mass. Every Mass is celebrated for the whole world and the needs of all the world, but there's a particular ministerial intention. Then the priest has his own personal intention, but that's also true of everyone at the Mass, all those who are assisting at Mass. I mean, I like that term that we used to use of assisting at Mass because it sounds, it, that's, it's closer to the, you know, we're sort of all in this together. The priest offers the sacrifice, of course, but everyone there is, is sort of sharing in it and is also offering that to the Father in their own way and in their own state of life. And so every Catholic going to Mass should bring uh, all of their needs, of course, you know, but then a, a specific need as well, as you're, as you're pointing out. Um, a need for the world, a need for someone in your life, you know, whatever it might be, a personal need. And and the other thing you mentioned about the healing is so, so true. There's there's the healing of the effects of sin, but there's also the forgiveness of venial sins, which can be forgotten, you know, that happens at the Eucharist. You know, that we pray in the beginning when we have the penitential rite, you know, you know there, there used to be a custom of making the sign of the cross at that time, in part because people were receiving, there is a kind of absolution in that. It's obviously not... Um, you know, for mortal sins, we're more serious. We still need to go to sacrament of confession, but we do receive forgiveness at at um, at mass, which is why Pope Francis, you know, has that famous line: "The Eucharist is not a prize for the perfect, but a medicine and nourishment for the weak." Um, sometimes that was misunderstood. You know, it sounded like he was saying everyone should just go forward for communion, but in fact, he's saying something very ancient, very traditional, which is that that mass has a role in forgiveness and in healing, as you point out. Um, and I love the story about your, uh, about your, about your friend David, you know, just praying for a minute for everyone. All of us can do that, you know, like praying, how can I bring the Eucharist into my life? Let me think practically about the people that I will see today or the people I see on a regular basis, you know, starting with my family and loved ones, but moving out from there, you know, workplace, school, wherever it might be. And in a sense, being the agent of the Eucharist in those different environments, bring the one who brings the light and the peace of the Eucharist into those environments. That's a tremendous way to see the apostolic kind of dimension of the Eucharist. Chris, thanks so much for calling in. And uh, Father, we're running pretty short on time here, but as we conclude the, the hour today, how can we better prepare ourselves? You mentioned, you know, that sign in the sacristy at every chapel for the missionaries of charity. How do we kind of prepare ourselves in that same mode that we can receive as if it's the first time, as if it's the last time that we'll ever receive the Eucharist? And how do we do that in our own lives? Well, I think uh, maybe a couple quick things sort of in a broader sense, you know, like living the life of consistency with our, our you know, b- with what we believe, how we should be living our life and, and getting back up when we fall, you know, and, and having an interior life of maybe some times of prayer throughout our day. In other words, it's, it's, not, it's not only just like those minutes before Mass starts, but it's kind of how are we living our life in general? 
are we saying no to the Lord about anything? But then at a at a very practical level, like, you know, uh, having coming a few minutes before for mass starts, you know, saying having some time and making it intentional, making it very deliberate, you know, desiring to receive our Lord well and worthily and, and uh, you know, disposed to all the graces he wants us to receive with joy. Um, it's been said before that one communion well received can make us a saint. So, you know, while, you know, but having the confidence that Jesus wants to do that in our hearts, perhaps reading the readings beforehand, yeah, you know, right. and praying a little bit about them. So there are a lot of, and bringing our intentions to Mass. So I think there are a lot of small things we can do sort of to prepare well and to receive even more graces than we already are. And then afterwards, of course, being able to make a prayer of thanksgiving. Yeah, right, afterwards, yeah, exactly. There's a great story about Philip Neri sending out a woman who had received and left right after communion, and he sent out the two altar boys with candles to walk next to her. And she came back, and he said, well, because you have Jesus in you. You're oh. still here like a walking tabernacle. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> he was making a point, yeah. Yeah, well, Father, uh, we've got about 30 seconds left here. Could I ask you, as we conclude the hour, to offer all of our listeners a blessing? I'd be delighted. Josh, may the blessing of Almighty God descend upon you and all of who have been listening and all of their loved ones now and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Carter Griffin, our spiritual director for the hour, thank you so much for being with us, Father. And of course, if you're listening and you joined late, you can listen to the entire podcast. It's always available uh, just shortly after the broadcast at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. And coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk about penance. What does that mean? How do we offer those penances, those mortifications, and how does that help us to grow in holiness? I hope you can join us tomorrow for that. Uh, Father Edward Looney is our uh, celebrant for Mass coming up here in about 20 seconds, so stay tuned for that, and then The Faith Explained with Cale Clark right afterwards.